For the first time, the Marquee Conference for the American Hard Right is being held in Europe. CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, is getting underway in Hungary. CPAC is no run-of-the-mill event. Ronald Reagan spoke at the inaugural CPAC in 1974. It's where Donald Trump floated a run at the presidency in 2015. Now the spotlight is falling on a new hard-right poster boy, Hungary's Prime Minister, Viktor Orban, who will be the keynote speaker. Hello to all of our friends in Hungary. This is Matt Schlapp, the chairman of CPAC, and we are so excited to come join you in your freedom-loving country with a lot of our friends and VIPs. Orban is in his fourth term after more than a decade picking apart rule of law in Hungary. He's built a seemingly unassailable system of control, including over the media. He's also made the Hungarian capital, Budapest, a hub for the hard right. He's lavished funds and favor on a constellation of publications, think tanks, and institutes. They promote the culture war that underpins ultra-conservative beliefs. So what to expect from CPAC? The Guardian newspaper suggests speakers will double down on the conspiracy theory that there's a liberal plot to dilute white populations, the so-called Great Replacement Theory. Orban is a fan, as is another prominent speaker who will address the conference, the Fox News commentator, Tucker Carlson. But there's another thing, Ukraine. Putin's war in Ukraine has threatened to be a PR disaster for hard-right confabs such as CPAC, Previous editions featured supporters of Putin, and Putin remains the most powerful champion of many of its ideas. As it happens, back in March, there was something like a mini-CPAC, which was held in Brussels. That was the Conference of National Conservatives, and it also had Hungarian influence stamped all over it. The National Conservatives, or NATCONs, have tended to distance themselves from the Trumpism of CPAC, But they share many of the same policies and politics, and the Brussels conference featured prominent Hungarians, like Orban's justice minister, Judith Varga, who will speak at CPAC too. The Nat Khan conference also developed something approximating a cordon sanitaire to put between them and Putin. Could speakers at CPAC adopt a similar playbook? What's for sure is that CPAC speakers, like the NatCons in Brussels, will want to make sure their culture war isn't derailed by Putin's real-life war in Ukraine. No migrants more in. No Europe without Christianity. An alliance also with Russia. EU Scream, in association with EU Observer, Episode 73, Ultra-Conservatives in Putin's Shadow. Vladimir Putin has become a toxic brand for the far right, but their faith in the things he stands for appears as strong as ever. Like child abuse tropes that are designed to make liberal ideals of tolerance sound like pedophilia, Here's Viktor Orban's political director, Balash Orban, at the NatCon conference in Brussels earlier this year. We will protect our children from the LGBTQ propaganda, which already captured the kindergartens and the elementary schools of some Western societies. A father is a man, a mother is a woman, and please let alone our children, full stop. 
As for explicit race baiting, that's something they try to avoid. But EU conferences on anti-racism? They apparently are fair game. No later than three days ago, hundreds of meters away from here, they organized the so-called EU Anti-Racism Summit, an event meant and designed to remind us, Europeans, how guilty we are to supposed to feel, how much despair and evil we brought to the world, and how much we must hate and loathe ourselves. Except that we won't. We won't. Indeed, teasing out the nationalism from the white nationalism at these events is not straightforward. Take migrants and refugees. Ukrainians are welcome, but not non-whites or those from the Muslim world, although they don't put it quite so starkly. We see a refugee wave unseen in Europe, not since the Second World War, and not seen in 2015 and 16. So these are real refugees from a neighboring country, not like in 2015 when we were told that we have to take refugees from five countries away. In fact, the NatCons would have you believe that they themselves are the victims of discrimination. The real issue, they say, is the impact a more tolerant society has on them. The question for you is, could we possibly see this same conference in this format held in Europe in the next number of years as we see our rights continuously eroded, particularly in freedom of expression, before we find ourselves, and this very gathering, raided by police and some of us with personal professional consequences for using these terminologies, when you get a knock on the door from uh, the policeman wearing a pink rainbow badge and carrying a rainbow truncheon. Those voices from the NatCon conference in Brussels in March show where the hard right agrees, on culture and values. But with the war in Ukraine raging, there's still Putin's crimes to contend with. And the hard right is nothing if not fractious. There are the ultra-conservative Poles in power in Warsaw, who take a maximalist anti-Russia line. And then there are those like French far-right leader Marine Le Pen, an erstwhile admirer of Putin, who now suggests he was not the same person that she met five years ago. And then there are others, notably Viktor Orban, who keep a highly cordial relationship with the Kremlin. So how to square the circle? Here's a rough and admittedly unscientific guide to the approach taken by the NatCons in Brussels in March. First, be the victim. Start off by saying that Putinism is being instrumentalized against the hard right and suggest that liberal elites are over-eager to seize on Putin's aggression. It is simply evil-minded and wickedness to say that those who are calling for a world of independent nations, for a brotherhood of independent nations, that we're Putin supporters because of the fact that we don't support universal liberal empire. Also adopt some of Marine Le Pen's tactics by expressing disappointment in Putin and his lieutenants, like Patriarch Kirill of Moscow. In this reading, it's the Russians who have let down the far right, rather than the far right being hopelessly naive or complicit. It pains me to point to the situation in which Patriarch Kirill finds himself. 
That's Rod Dreher, who wrote an article in October titled, Putin Gets It, Why Don't We?, about the virtues of ultra-conservative culture. He's not prophetic, but rather prostrate before Putin and the Russian state as they prosecute an unjust war. Um, I have appreciated over the years the way that he has advised the Russian state, and the Russian state has tried to defend the natural family and other things. But now in this war, we see the ultimate cost of this closeness, and uh, it grieves my heart as an Orthodox Christian. Also from the annals of victimhood, don't forget to show indignation at the way the EU is treating Hungary and Poland. Both countries have welcomed large numbers of Ukrainian refugees, but you'd think the EU is punishing Budapest and Warsaw for doing so. Shame. Shame on those 478 members of the European Parliament who found the time to divide Europe while the drums of war are rumbling at our borders. And while Poles and Hungarians welcome millions of refugees, this initiative does not only bring shame on them, history will show us that it will also bring infamy and disgrace. Except, in reality, the European Parliament resolution has nothing to do with the refugee emergency. MEPs voted to withhold money from Hungary and Poland for the way they flout EU law by imposing political control over their judiciary and media and by restricting civil rights. Second, tailor your theory to fit events. Our theories don't capture the, the, the particularity of real human beings. And this danger is, of course, magnified immensely under the current circumstances where there's a war going on. We need to strive on the one hand to try to improve our theories, and on the other hand, we need to remember that real people are dying. Yoram Hazoni is an Israeli political theorist and author, and he's something of a guru to the national conservatism movement. Speaking at the Brussels event, he was careful to classify Putin's Russia as an empire rather than as a nation. Russia acts as an empire. Russia has never in its history been a nation state. It's always been an empire. That doesn't mean that forever it will be an empire. But at the, at, at the moment, it acts as an empire conquering a neighboring independent nation state. As nationalists, we, we feel that this is unjust. We imagine it happening to us. We say so, that, that, that a people has a right, if it's capable of, of, of asserting that right, it has a right to be able to uh, chart its own course. Hazoni is distressed by the butchery in Ukraine. He says Ukraine should be supported. But his commentary does not stop there. Hazoni leverages his analysis of Putin's imperialism to make a pivot and to refocus his attack on the liberal European project. If you're an imperialist, you say, what difference do the, do the borders really make? And, and why should everybody have their own, their own laws when we know what the right laws are? And there are plenty of people in, in Russia who think that. And as I've said over the years, there are plenty of people uh, in Brussels and in Berlin and in Washington who also think, why should others be able to, to, to determine their own laws? We know what the right laws are. So someone sitting in Washington or in Brussels doesn't necessarily understand the interests 
of someone who is sitting in Poland or in Hungary or in Israel or in any other country. Hard-right speakers at the National Conservatism Conference eagerly endorse the idea that Brussels has imperial pretenses, but the parallel between the EU and Putin's Russia is outlandish, and some still muddled up their states with their empires. What's happening in Ukraine is a perfect illustration of the national idea argument. It is rightly struggling to be free and struggling against the nation, uh, the empire rather, uh, which is actually the largest state in Europe. Um, so I want to concentrate on the empire. Well, the first point about an empire is... Three, seek common cause with Ukraine against Europe. Wrap up by blaming the catastrophe in Ukraine on a decadent Europe as much as on Russia. It was exactly the shriveling of national armies of Europe and of the alliance of independent nations, that is nation, which allowed the Russians to attack Ukraine. All, all this, this uh, shriveling of national capabilities was done in the name of a liberal age of Aquarius with no need for armies, borders, and nations. Now, the European nation state must be the foundation for the new approach, not a lib- liberal European imperialism. Not only did the speakers say Ukraine had already been let down by Europe, they suggested Ukraine would be let down again were it ever to join the EU. Everybody is now an Ukraine defender in, in, this, in, in Europe. But if, if, if Ukraine would have been a remote province of a sovereign, sovereign Europe, uh, they would have given away Ukraine in three days to Putin. And everybody knows it. It was the nation, it was the fatherland which brought it, brought the sons of this fatherland which have been fighting the first fierce days there, which brought the change of mind. Rather like those exaggerated threats about LGBTQ people, appeals to masculinity are ubiquitous in far-right circles these days. It's something that the author and political commentator Jared Yates Sexton has described as a fascist cult of masculinity. The far right's goal, it seems, is to portray Europe and the EU as too effete to be of interest to Ukraine's warriors. If we don't even know if we're male or female, if we don't know if we should be, our society should be celebrated or, or destroyed, if we're obsessed with not offending anyone, then how can we stand up robustly to a major external threat, like the Ukrainians are standing up so brilliantly against Russia? It doesn't work. So, ladies and gentlemen, just to conclude... um... No matter that women are well represented in Ukraine's armed forces, and no matter that LGBTQ plus soldiers are participating in combat operations. That's it for this mini-episode. EU Screams Nonprofit Journalism is supported by listener donations, partnerships, and by advertising. And we're grateful to the Laura Kinsella Foundation for an annual grant. For more details and for more EU Scream, visit euscream.com or click on podcast at euobserver.com. I'm James Cantor. Thanks for listening.